Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Good morning. And the question, of course, that is on all of our minds after the congressional hearing last week is, does alien life exist? And if so, what does that do to our Christian faith and how should Christians respond? Does that shake our faith at all? Well, according to CBS News, a former military intelligence officer turned whistleblower told House lawmakers that Congress is being kept in the dark about unidentified anomalous phenomena known as UAP or UFOs, alleging at a hearing that executive branch agencies have withheld information about mysterious objects for years. This whistleblower told lawmakers that he was informed of, quote, a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program during the course of his work examining classified programs. So how should we as Christians think about this? Well, my very good friend, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, who works with Creation Ministries International, joins me now. And uh, Dr. Sarfati, so great to talk with you. Um, You are one of my favorite people to follow, not only on uh, Twitter and social media, but also all of the articles that you write in creation.com. So welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, thanks so much. And, you know, you have a great piece uh, that is asking and answering the question about whether or not uh, alien life can exist. So uh, let's first talk about it from the scientific perspective. Uh, What is your view as a creation scientist uh, from the mechanics of how we can ask and answer this question? Okay, even before that, I'd say that life only exists because God created it, because life could not uh, form from non-living chemicals. My specialist field is PhD chemists. I I know what I'm talking about here. Um, So uh, the only way life could appear here or anywhere else is if God created it, and there's no good evidence that God did create anywhere else besides Earth. Um, but I think what you're talking about is could aliens reach here from such from other stars? And the answer uh, from science is clearly no. And I've got a few example reasons for that. Yeah, and and go into that because I think that that's what's so fascinating. The um, all of the you know the movies and sort of the pop culture references. Uh, would say that, well, of course, given enough time and space travel and things that we don't know about the universe would suggest that it's more likely than not that life does exist elsewhere. And and obviously they're excising the question of whether God created, um, but just from a, um, so, so I think from both a theological and scientific perspective, uh, what is your response? Well, okay. For instance, I think people don't realize how how far the, the stars are away from uh, from our star, the sun. But you're talking about the nearest star is uh, four light years uh, away, Alpha Centauri, Proxima Centauri. Uh, so it means light takes uh, four years to get there. Now, 
even if you go at a, a fast sublight speed, say a third of the speed of light, okay, that's um, using metrics round number, okay. Um, so it's a hundred thousand kilometers per second is this is a third of the speed of light. That'll take you twelve years to get there. But how do you get to that speed? It's very simple physics. There's a formula called E equals MC squared. So you square the the speed, um, multiply it by the mass, and I've calculated that if even if you had just a ten ton spacecraft quite minor the, the the thing that landed on the moon was only it was 15 tons okay so 10 ton spacecraft would take uh, more energy than the entire earth produces in a month that's just wow. to get a 10 ton space shuttle up, up there and then to slow it down you need that sort of energy to break to break to, for breaking forces and the other thing is if you collided with a dust grain at that speed you'd probably blow up the spacecraft i mean um you look at some of our, our own satellites they're quite damaged by dust grains as they orbit they collide into a dust grain and it puts a big hole in the spacecraft We've got pictures of how that happens but you're talking about um speeds say ten thousand times more than than what the the the, uh, the moon rockets were going for instance and because the energy is a squ it's square proportional to square of velocity you talk about a hundred million times the energy of the dust grains hitting our satellites so you're talking about uh, even a snowflake would be a, a, like a, a four tons of tnt exploding if it hit so you've got to have some way of deflecting even the tiniest dust grains out from your path otherwise they, they blow blow the spacecraft up just a, a single dust train would do that and, and, and this I'm is a simple with... high school physics Right, right. And, and I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati from uh, Creation Ministries International. And, you know, obviously the laws of, of physics and our natural world that we are presented to can't just be ignored or explained away. And, and as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of um, you know, the, the popular film Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, how um, one of the, the, the things that they suggest about space travel, which is, of course, just an invention of Hollywood, is, oh, we can have these little portals that open that um, the, the spacecraft can fly through and it's going at, you know, a, like 20 miles an hour in this little video, right? And and you go through that. And so now we can tra traverse eons and eons of space and get here to Earth just fine. And so, you know, is anything like that even possible? Or is this just kind of the invention of Hollywood that makes no sense in the real world? Oh, it makes no sense in the real world. And in fact, you pick your science fiction a film and you get your different means of trying to get around the simple physics um but it is um firmly in the in the in the world of science fiction not science fact and then and that's what i think is so fascinating about this conversation is that a lot of people think that science fiction is a forecast of what we will somehow later discover and and we just don't know all of the technology that aliens somehow know that human beings haven't invented yet and so going back to the theology part of it though i have heard a lot of people suggest that if if alien life does exist that somehow that would shake the christian faith i don't think that's true just from a, the the difference between human beings made in the image of God and literally any other life, whether it's alien, whether it's dolphins, whether it's something else, we know specifically from scripture that human beings are made in the image of God and the gospel 
uh, is presented in that way. So it discounts any other types of possibilities. Um, so what is the theological response to this question of alien life? Well, I mean, okay, the, the Bible's quite clear that uh, Earth was the center. God created Earth on day one, created the sun, moon, and stars on day four. So Earth was clearly first. Uh, he created only humans in his image. No evidence that he created any other creatures like Vulcans or Klingons in his image. And also when Adam fell, um, the whole creation was cursed, as you read in Romans 8, uh, which means it, Adam's sin would have affected the Vulcan and Klingon home worlds with the curse because of the universal nature of it. And then you have um, God himself appearing in the flesh. He became a descendant of Adam. Um, so he could die for Adam's descend and Adam's descendants as our kinsman redeemer. So he took on human nature to die for human sin. He didn't take on Vulcan nature to die for Spock's sin. Okay. And then you got the things um, that um, the church is called the bride of Christ. And, um, he only has one bride. He's not a polygamist. So he, Jesus has only the a human bride, a, a human bride, not a Vulcan bride or a, a, Klingon, a Klingon bride or anything like that. So um, the incarnation and um, well, the whole biblical story of, of the creation for redemption is clearly a human centered thing where, in fact, God, in fact, in, uh, comes into humanity. You know, um, interesting, some of the, the great Marvel films, you have the, the director, Stan Lee, making a cameo appearance in his own movie. Well, that's what God has actually done. He appeared in his own creation as Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's something aliens so, can't have. Right. And and so what about angels and demons then? Because we know from scripture that, those, that that is real. And a lot of people would suggest that because of angelology and demonology in terms of uh, theology and scripture, then that would lend to the possibility of alien life forms. Well, the alien life forms are meant to be physical forms, not meant to be spiritual things like demons and angels. They're, they're not, uh, they they normally don't, uh, they're spiritual beings. They're not the sort of aliens that people are talking about in science fiction. Now, alien angels and demons do exist. And I think that might be part of the, the fallen angels might be part of the deceptions going on where people think they're aliens. They're actually uh, demonic um, beings and therefore nothing to be messed with and very dangerous to mess with. Um, I think most of the, the so-called alien sightings are quite innocent things. They're then the, the ball lightning, uh, a space um, a balloon mis misidentified. In fact, in the cold war it seems that uh, people saw their own rocket programs they saw that they had a, a ship going faster than their own jet planes or well, what could that be what well, was actually their own government rocket programs which are being kept secret because of the cold war so um, the cover-up was not quite what they're thinking is the cover-up of their own rocket programs that were being developed um, and that's responsible for a lot because a rocket's much faster than any uh, jet fighter uh, but I think um, there's a, a minority of these alien abduction type things which probably are demonic. And also, it's interesting that real born-again, walk-the-walk Christians seem to be uh, immune from these sorts of uh, of abduction experiences. Because if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, uh, then the demonic spirit can't, can't touch you. Mm. And... And, uh, and and it is interesting to see how um, so much of the 
the so-called uh, abduction experiences also in, you know, even the 70s and 80s have been linked to to drugs and psychedelics and, and other things. And I think you're absolutely right that mm-hmm. um, there is a demonic activity as well. And so what do you make of this congressional hearing that, um, you know, this, this so-called whistleblower is actually suggesting that uh, that he's coming forward with new information that the government is hiding. And you know, my first response to this was, um, how how is he, like, for what purpose would he be whistleblowing? Because there are obviously things, like you were just mentioning, the, the rocket programs and other things that go toward uh, national security in terms of development of mm-hmm. arms that, of course, need to be kept secret. And that's actually okay. So what would even be the purpose of whistleblowing? I also don't wonder if if these aliens are, can actually make it from another star to Earth with their superior technology. How could mere um, the U.S. government be able to hide them in the first place? I mean, yeah. I mean that's the sort of thing. I mean, they're supposed to be more powerful than us, and yet we're supposed to be able to put them in, in Area sixty one or fifty one or whatever it is, and 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 hide them completely. The, the story is is loaded with internal inconsistencies. Mm. And, and a lot of people have suggested as well, uh, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jonathan Sarfati of Creation Ministries International, that uh, you know some of this is just a, a psyop and it's it's just a distraction. And, and yet the fascination with UFOs and with alien life continues to persist, I think, in culture. And we see that reflected in science fiction and, you know, mm. some of these other things from Hollywood. <clears throat> and so as we are uh, discussing this from a biblical worldview perspective, um, what should Christians um, think about in terms of how we can best respond when we get these types of questions, especially when they're in the national news, like a congressional hearing? Well, I mean, it is interesting that the supposed alien uh, alien sightings and all seem to reflect what the latest science fiction of the time is saying, that the um, appearance of a supposed alien seems to have changed over um, hundred hundred years or so, and also where they've come from. At one time, it was from Mars when you had things like H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, aliens from Mars invading us, and then, oh, Mars doesn't have life, so let's put them a bit further out. So it looks like um, the stories change to keep up with the um, the science fiction culture of the day. That's an interesting thing. So um, a psyop is probably right, and it's interesting how the psyop matches what uh, we expect aliens to look like as opposed to actually being real aliens. Yeah, that, that's us. a great point. And, you know, and it somehow matches the little green men from Hollywood and, uh, you know, Marvin the Martian in some cases, but he's kind of developed a little more than, than uh, since his inception of, of those cartoons. But uh, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, you can uh, find him on Twitter and also at creation.com with Creation Ministries International. And we need to ask and answer all of these questions from a biblical worldview perspective. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And I think with all of this uh, in the headlines about UFOs and artificial intelligence and uh, some of these really interesting uh, videos that are suggesting that these AI models uh, actually are contemplating their own reality. If you saw this, 
this was from some some account that I'm I'm not familiar with, but I see a lot of the things that go viral on Twitter. Um, Mortise Kremb. Um, I don't know if that's a guy's name or if that's just his uh, his his moniker there. But he posted, "This is crazy. Characters in this video game are hooked up to an AI language model. Now watch this player go around and tell them that they are an AI in a video game." It makes us question our own reality, doesn't it? And the video is very interesting because the language model, uh, this this uh, this player goes around and talks to these artificial in- intelligence uh, characters in this video game, and they respond with what we would consider reasonable questions, I think, uh, from from someone who is questioning their own existence like humans do. And so, you know, this goes all the way back to the matrix and, uh, you know, some of these other uh, interesting questions as technology gets more and more um, reality based. And so I'd like to welcome my good friend, uh, Pastor Tom Askell. He is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida and the president of Founders Ministry. Um, Tom, you know, I think with all of this in the media, we are questioning um, our reality, and, and I think uh, culture generally questions, you know, the, the big questions. Who are we? Why am I here? Is there a God? And I think that this just really affirms the need for a robust systematic theology that answers all of these questions. So uh, welcome to the show, and I'd love to get your perspective overall on um, artificial intelligence and how Christians should think about this. Yeah, well, Jenna, thanks so much for having me back on your show. I'm always delighted to have a conversation with you, and boy, this is a massive topic. It's one that's going to be around for a long time, and it gets to the to the very foundational issues of life. You know, who are we? What are we? Why are we here? Uh, how do we know what we know? All of those life questions that have been around as long as uh, humankind have been around kind of get uh, focused in the whole artificial intelligence debate, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of issues tied up in it, and we've seen it even from the the people who have been living in the artificial intelligence world. I don't know if you saw a few months ago, Elon Musk and uh, Steve Wozniak and some others signed this open letter, you know, calling for like a six month moratorium on the development of AI because they said we just it's too happening too fast. We can't keep up with it, and we don't know where it's going. Uh, then you had um, the the fellow from Google, Jeffrey Hinton, who's called the godfather of artificial intelligence. He actually resigned because he said that he thinks AI is becoming an existential risk to uh, humanity. So these are massively important questions, and of course, as Christians, we, we have the scriptures. We believe the Bible is true, and it's a wonderful starting point for explaining reality. And the most important verse in in all the Bible for that is Genesis 1-1, that this is God's world. He created the world, everything in it, and we are here because of him and for him. So as believers, as those who know Jesus Christ, we have uh, a place to stand from which to examine these very important, serious questions and to evaluate uh, artificial intelligence without being reactionary uh, on the one hand and saying, oh, this is just you know demonic and we can't, should have nothing to do with it, or simply mindlessly embracing it and saying, well, of course it's new, it's got to be better. And I, I think we, this is a time, this is a call 
for the people of God to go back to our foundations in Scripture and say, okay, what does God tell us is right and good and true? What is real? What's not real? And let's stand there, re-clarify, get our doctrine, our theology straight so that we can uh, helpfully and um, and productively enter into the consideration of what is here and is only going to get continually refined in our lifetime that we call artificial intelligence. Yes, and, and that, that just affirms so much, uh, Tom Askell, how much Christians need to be grounded in the truth of the Word of God and understand the biblical mm. worldview to then be able to analyze all of these new topics that that really aren't all that new, because as the Bible also tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, these are just mm-hmm. further iterations of uh, of questions that have been around since the beginning of time. And so uh, what mm-hmm. type of risks do you think artificial intelligence and some of these questions pose to the Christian church in the sense that we need to be uh, ready to answer? Well, one is the whole question of our existence. You know, what is uh, what is mankind? What is a man? What is a woman? We're already having a lot of confusion <laughs> on those basic questions. So what does it mean to be human? Uh, what is reality? And so much today is uh, considered to be socially constructed. So, you know, I'm, I can be whatever I want to be. I can be a male. I can be a female. I can be non-binary. I can transition to anything and almost everything. So as Christians, we've got to come back to know what does God say? Because ultimately what is real is not what I think is real or determined to be real or, or real for me. What is real is what God says is real. What is good is what God says is good. What is true is what God says is true. And I think as Christians, we have been uh, discipled pretty effectively by our culture on those basic questions so that we don't, uh, we just take for granted uh, the answers and we can no longer afford to do that. We've got to come back and uh, say, what does the Bible say? That's, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a grandparent now. I've got uh, six kids and 18 grandkids, and I pastor a church full of a lot of little kids with young parents, and I'm regularly trying to encourage uh, those who have little ones under their care, look, don't, don't let your children grow up thinking you can be anything you want to be. I, I get the aspirational aspect of that, that you, know, you, can, you can enlarge your horizons, but you can be what God tells you you can you you cannot define your own existence you ought to be the very best you you can be but if god made you a boy you're going to be a boy god made you a girl you're going to be a girl grow up to be a woman but you can't change those basic elements of your existence because you are designed by god for god so just the whole big question that we can sometimes just assume to be true because everything in our culture has been catechizing us to say, oh, no, no, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be defined by anybody. Uh, your truth is as valid as anybody else's truth. Those kinds of things need to be reexamined in the light of the Scripture. And whenever we do that, it, it causes some people to get uh, almost immediately disoriented and realize, man, how far along have I gone down this bad trail of uh, thinking just like the world does? Oh, well, of course, you know, everything's socially constructed. Well, no, it's not. God's the one who created the world. He created us in the world. We're created in His image. We are His highest creation. And uh, that's the starting point, then, for us in examining reality or anything and everything that uh, is in the world. Mm. 
Absolutely. And I'm speaking with Tom Askell, who's the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. And just to underscore what what you very profoundly said, Tom, that we have to make sure that we are defining uh, the truth of reality because the world around mm-hmm. us and especially in a post-truth culture right now wants to strip away any definitions, any boundaries and contours to reality. So this whole idea that you can be anything you want to be. Well, if, if we contextualize that and say, you know, if you want to go to college and pursue a, a degree path, well, the government isn't going to restrain you from that. And, uh, you know, maybe other external uh, forces like your ability to afford college or, you know, some of those things might. But, you know, but you can pursue the path um, that that you perceive is is of your interest. And so and so contextualizing that, sure, you know, be all that you can be. I mean, you know, kind of the military's old slogan, you know, that didn't mean transgender in the military, you know. But the but this whole idea that we're just stripping away any sort of boundaries to reality and we can't define men and women and humanity and reality and God and truth. And we can't actually ascertain what is the difference between what is true and what is false is ultimately propelling us to chaos. And that's exactly what the post-truth social order wants is, is total chaos and a lack of definitions so that we can't concretely answer these questions. And it comes back to this basic thing. Can we know truth? And I think that is what a lot of Christians are even suggesting, like, well, how do we know for sure what is in the Bible that we can rely on that? I mean, these are just some of the very basic fundamental theological questions. How can we know that we can know truth from a biblical perspective? Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody starts from somewhere. Everybody has presuppositions. This is one of the things that uh, sometimes Christians who aren't uh, maybe well-taught or not have been, haven't been very thoughtful in these areas get intimidated by that. So, well, you just believe that old book, and you know, no, we don't have any reason to believe that old book. Well, everybody starts with presuppositions. Nobody uh, has some, some um, ironclad, deductive deductively proven starting point that everybody must acknowledge. What we do as Christians is we lay our cards on the table, and I say, yeah, I believe the Bible's true, and I've got good reasons for believing the Bible's true. I can't deductively prove it to you as a mathematic equation so that everybody will accept it, but I can inductively show you multitudes of reasons that if you believe Abraham Lincoln really existed as a person, if you believe that we have the writings or the teachings of Aristotle or Socrates, if you believe those things without uh, jettisoning them to skepticism, then you have more reason to believe the Bible. And if you believe those things and you don't believe the Bible, well, then there's something else going on other than your concern for evidence. Because you look at the prophecies that were made thousands of years before uh, they came true. You look at the uh, the way the Bible has impacted cultures, societies, nations, wherever it has gone. You, you see the transformative power individually that comes from the message of the Bible. There's just evidence after evidence after evidence regarding manuscript, um, um, evidence that we have from New Testament, thousands of uh, manuscripts available to us that are closer to the original source than any of the ancient writings that we take for granted today as being accurate. Well, when you take all that, we have good reason to believe the Bible. And then when you read the Bible, what you discover is the Bible makes sense of the world. How in the world do you explain... uh, a a, a cosmos 
that can give us both Steve Jobs and Bill Gates as well as Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein. How do you explain that? Well, the Bible explains them both. You know, we're made in God's image. And so whenever you get a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates that, that creates wonderful tools that make life better, they are bearing the image of their creative God, their creator. And then whenever you get uh, the Hitlers of the world who do inhumane atrocities, uh, what's going on there? Well, you, you see sin and the work of the devil that the Bible also reveals to us. So the Bible, you know, I, I don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads me. It explains me uh, individually. It explains the world, and it makes sense of the world better than anything else that's available to us. So as Christians, we need to be very confident that what we have in the Scripture is an authoritative, accurate, trustworthy record of what God, who created this world, wants us to know concerning himself, ourselves, the world we live in, uh, the, the future of what's coming in this world, as well as elements of how this world has uh, gotten to the place it's it, where it is today. And with that, we have definitions, revelations of goodness, beauty, truth, uh, righteousness, and evil. And we can take what the Bible says and apply it and find that when we do, life goes well. Because it's it's like an, if you take a, you know, a brand new... Um, um, automobile, uh, a Lamborghini, and you take the Lamborghini owner's manual and operate the car according to that manual, it's going to go better for you than if you take a Lamborghini and you try to uh, service it and operate it based upon a Volkswagen's uh, owner's manual. You'll, you'll get some life out of it, but it will never work the way it's supposed to work unless you read the manual written by the people that created it. And that's true of the Bible and the world which God has created. Mm, yes. And, and every person has to answer all of those basic questions for themselves. Who am I? Why am I here? What do I believe about God? And as you're talking, uh, Tom, about the presuppositions, this is why worldview and apologetics matter. And because everyone has a presumption, um, we get these questions all the time as Christians from non-Christians saying, well, why would God allow evil? That question in itself presumes that there is a measurable definition to what is evil. And everyone knows there's a difference between um, pleasure versus pain versus, you know, right versus wrong. I mean, even people saying, don't, don't push your religion on me. They're assuming that that is wrong for some reason. And so for, for people who have a, a passion about God and going to church and worshiping the Lord, that is, that is absolutely great, but it has to be based in a substantive theology that we can, as the scripture admonishes us, have an answer for the hope that lies within us, because we can be as passionate about God and, 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 and love him. But if we don't have an answer as to why he is Lord of our lives and, and be able not only to answer these questions for ourselves, but then for others when we're asked, then we don't have an understanding uh, and a robust theology of understanding who God is. So we're going to talk about this more in the next segment with Tom Askell, uh, because this, this is ultimately where the rubber meets the road for the Christian life. We have to know how to live Christianly in a world that is going, you know, completely toward non-truth. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back, and I'm talking with my good friend, Pastor Tom Askell, who is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church out of Florida. And we've been talking about this need for Christians to have a robust and comprehensive systematic theology so that we can answer the questions of our day with a biblical, truthful response. And we need to be confident in the hope that lies within us, not just that God is an add-on to our lives or God exists to make us happy or all of these other reasons that uh, humans have and buy into certain religious groups or uh, certain ideas, but that we have an understanding and an answer for the big questions of reality. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Who is God? What do we believe about God? And this this whole comprehensive explanation of reality from a Christian worldview and from a biblical worldview is why I am a Christian. I am not just a Christian because I believe in God uh, like I like a child might believe in you know Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. That's what a lot of the world would see that is. Oh, you just are believing in you know this this uh, big dude in the sky kind of thing. No, I am a Christian mm-hmm. because I believe that the biblical worldview and the truth of the Bible and the God of the Bible provides the best explanation for the reality to which I am presented and has the best uh, way for me to understand all of life's most important questions. And so, um, so Tom Askell, we were, I, I want to kind of uh, button up the, the AI topic and, um, and, and ask you though in, uh, and then, and then we'll move on to, to a couple of other things, but for artificial intelligence, a lot of people are suggesting that because AI has the capacity to be almost human-like or have their own cognitive function, you know, that eventually AI could have the same parameters as humans in the sense of um, a right to life, which I, I think is fascinating on the, the whole abortion topic, um, but that having artificial intelligence to that level should make humans question whether we are actually artificial. So rather than artificial intelligence becoming human, it's almost like it's reversing that and saying humans, then we can infer are just artificial and we're all in this matrix and reality doesn't actually exist as we perceive it. What is the Christian response to that? Yeah, well, again, it goes back to Genesis 1-1. God created the world, and then he created us in that world, in his image, to represent him in the world. So artificial intelligence is a creature in that sense. It is created, and it's created by creatures. We're the ones who design that. And so you might be able to uh, eliminate an artificial intelligence uh, 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 character in a a role-playing scenario, but you can't murder that character because murder only exists when there's an attack upon the image of God in the creature that bears that image, and that is mankind exclusively. So the uniqueness of mankind needs to be recovered, and we need to understand what the Bible tells us about that, that this is not artificially constructed. We're not self-existent beings, but we are created beings by the self-existent one, by God himself. So there's a hard line between God and not God. You have God and then whatever is not God, outside of God, is created by God. And the highest of that created order is humanity. 
and humanity, because we're made in God's image, we are creative as well. And so there's wonderful things that can be developed, and we've seen them. We benefit from them. I'm sitting uh, in a, a Oklahoma house that's uh, temperature is about 98 degrees outside, and, and it's about 72 here. And I'm grateful for that because somebody created air conditioning, and I'm enjoying that. And that's a reflection of the creativity of God. And that is also true of artificial intelligence. It is a creation of humanity. So we must never get so caught up in the uh, uh, any kind of technology or artificial intelligence world that we begin to lose sight of the reality that, no, no, wait a minute, these are creations. These are things that we have we've constructed, and we alone are the image bearers of God. And again, uh, we're going to see this. I mean, you, you see it in, uh, in the robots, robotics developments, as that is wedded more and more to artificial intelligence. You, you already have people that have uh, said they are falling in love with artificially uh, intelligence-induced dolls and such. Uh, it's coming, but those of us who know God must be clear in our thinking. No, no, no. These things are, uh, they're, they're not human beings. You cannot murder them. You, you can take a robot and throw it uh, over a cliff, and you've not committed murder, because murder can only be committed against an, a, a creature that bears God's image, and the only creature of whom that is true is humankind. Mm, yes, and, and I think that that answer and that response is also the Christian response to the question of, well, do aliens exist? And what if we find these these beings that are actually more sophisticated than humans? What would that do to your faith? And my response is nothing. Because, I mean, we know that right. angels and demons exist um, in the spiritual world mm-hmm. that are that that exist in a dimension that we can't even perceive. Um, we know that there are very sophisticated um, animals in the animal kingdom that we're discovering some of their amazing God-created capacities. Um, but that, again, is not a human being. And so there is a difference mm-hmm. between, as you said, Tom, God and not God. And there's also a measurable difference between human and not human. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. we have to be very firm on all of these issues theologically so that our faith is not shaken uh, when we encounter some of the technological advances, when we encounter some of these other existential questions, and we have uh, a response and and a very clear one that is biblically based. And um, and so I want to ask you and kind of uh, shift gears here a little bit for the last about 10 minutes that we have uh, with you, Tom Askell. And there was a great piece that you uh, posted on social media that I read that um, is from the American Reformer. Uh, you can find that at AmericanReformer.org. And the title is A Polity Undone. And uh, the, the article goes on to say, you know, parental rights will not save us. And uh, the line that um, that really stood out to me was um, the established anthropology and indeed theology is always in control. As much as originalists and constitutionalists may long for a neutral statute parsing uh, grammar for a judge, such discretion is exhibited in discrete state-centric legal fields like family law, and that's unavoidable. And so, again, someone must make the call. And so the the, mm-hmm. the piece to me is when we get this question again, well, whose morality 
are you going to push, you know, you're a Christian, stop, stop saying, well, you know, the law doesn't actually have morality in it. And, um, you know, we can't legislate morality, all of those things. And well, and, and I even had somebody on Twitter today, Tom, that said, uh, you know, well, uh, there, what's moral and immoral and right and wrong shifts and changes with culture. So we can never actually know what, what truth is. And that's, that's, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous for the law. And so the Christian response to this is, of course, we can legislate morality. It's just whose morality are we legislating? And that's really the question. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And it's interesting to me, all the relativists, you know, that, that come out and make those arguments you just articulated, the, the person making against what you said. Um, nobody wants a pilot to be a relativist at 35,000 feet. And nobody wants their cardiac surgeon to be a relativist or their banker to be a relativist. You know, in those areas, we all want somebody who believes in objective truth and in uh, reality that is objective as well. So the idea that we can not legislate or should not legislate morality is just nonsensical because all legislation is moral. And it's not a question of whether we're going to have a legislated morality. It's a question of which morality we're going to legislate. Are we going to legislate an anarchistic morality? Are we going to legislate a morality that is rooted and been demonstrated throughout time and history to be rooted in that which is transcendent? And of course, as Christians, you and I would say, no, it's got to be the latter because there is a God who has determined, he's the one who determines what is right, what is moral, uh, what is wrong, what is immoral, and because we're made in His image, we will never experience life the way that it's uh, capable of being experienced unless we get in line with what the Creator, the Owner, uh, has told us is good, right, true, and uh, and moral for us. So everybody has a morality. Uh, many people, maybe we could say most people, don't think about the uh, roots of their moral system very deeply. As Christians, we most certainly should think deeply because we are claiming that we are created by God, redeemed by God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, our Savior. And because we know God through Christ, we are connected to the One who Himself is goodness and righteousness and truth and justice and beauty and our concepts of those things originate from him and we don't we don't get to make them up we it, it's not you know oh well these are all just subjective ideas not at all they're all grounded in and they extend from the god who is the sum and substance of all those things mm, yes and 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 that is exactly the argument from a biblical worldview. And and I hope that as listeners are, are hearing this, they're saying, you know, we don't have to be afraid of these questions either. We don't have to be afraid of the pushback from a culture that is relative. And and some of these other pushbacks as well, um, you and I were talking before the program about um, another part of this article of um, the, the culture that wants to take the Constitution and make all of the terms and uh, and and the laws and and everything vague and subject to one interpretation instead of being originalist and how our constitution mm-hmm. has to be clearly defined and we've been talking a lot throughout mm-hmm. uh, this segment and the last one about definitions and saying no we can know truth just like we can read something and know meaning and we can communicate in language and in the written word 
and and have a uniform definition and meaning. Otherwise, uh, if we have a constitution that's completely fluid and it bends and shapes to the random whim of nine justices or the morality of the current culture, then we can never have predictability. We can never have uh, any sort of grounding in law that we can rely on. And And if that were true for reality, I mean, imagine if the natural law just changed based on the whim of of God every day. I mean, if we woke up and we're like, you know, I'm not really sure that gravity exists today. I guess I'll have to step outside and see what happens. I mean, that to not have a predictable universe and a predictable God would would be terrifying, frankly. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And and the idea too, uh, you know, some people who try to make the Constitution uh, be like a wax nose to fit on the current face. Um, that Constitution came from somewhere. It, it arose out of an understanding of the world that I would argue was grounded in an, a recognition and appreciation of natural law so that the the language that it uses and the assumptions that it or it makes are extensions of natural law and you, you can't you can't get around that everybody is going to make those kinds of assumptions the question is what are those assumptions grounded in again as Christians we ought to be forthcoming and say, look, God's spoken. There's a God He's spoken, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. I mean, I, two years ago, I, in the middle of the COVID nonsense, um, I got this crazy idea, and uh, the idea resulted in the establishment of a new institution. It's called the Institute of Public Theology. And we've assembled, I think, the best professors in the world, actually, to teach biblical theology to a rising generation of Christians, Christian leaders, specifically pastors, so that they no longer, we, we, don't, we don't just assume these things anymore. We take them out, we examine them, we say, no, 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 this is what the Bible says. And because the Bible says it, these are the implications of it for us today. And this is what it means to live in society. And Christians shouldn't just cave in every time somebody challenges them or pushes back and says, oh, well, you can't push your morality or your religion on us. We are stewards of the truth that the God of truth has revealed to us. And I think I think there's a desperate need for this in our generation, especially here in America, in the West, because we have seen the foundations be eroded, and we are seeing more and more opposition arise. And too often we're seeing Christians, and, and sometimes Christian leaders, who should know better, just kind of cave or else get moved right along with that opposition's effort to redefine um, everything. And uh, the, the Church can't stand that. Christ is too precious, and the message that He's given to us is uh, the only message that reconciles men and women and children to God, and we are stewards of it. And we've got to understand it, and we've got to be prepared to defend it. And if we don't, nobody else will. Yeah, and if we don't, and if we are not being the church to society, to civil government, to the family, then we are losing what church is all about. And if your church, uh, for anyone who is listening, is not teaching systematic theology, is not teaching biblical worldview, is not giving you the answers biblically, then you need to find another church. You need to find a church that understands the mission to carry the truth of the gospel of Christ to a lost and fallen culture. Because Tom Askell, you're absolutely right. If Christians aren't doing that, no one else will. And it is the Christians in culture that are always uh, influential in restraining evil 
of a fallen humanity. So Tom Askell, you can find him at Tom Askell on Twitter, on social media. And we'll be back with more tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net.